Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezra chapter 9 today. Ezra chapter 9, we're in a series of messages, a little bit different from what we've been doing. We've been in the book of Acts where we've been taking kind of big chunks of Scripture and kind of rolling right through them. For this series of messages, we're, we're kind of parked in just two verses in Ezra chapter 9 that we're unpacking and looking at from there. Ezra's story is one we might not be very familiar with, but we've, we've been doing a little bit of historical background to help us kind of put it in, in its place in time. The book of Ezra, what we're going to read about today, happened about 450 years before Jesus was born. So we know when Jesus was born, that's kind of the Christmas story. Well, 450 years before that is when the prayer we're going to read that Ezra prayed, that's when he prayed that prayer. This all took place during a season of time that is referred to in, in Scripture as the exile and the return from exile. So the Jewish people lived in Jerusalem in the land of Judah. They had disobeyed God. God said, if you disobey me, I will lift my protection from you. When they disobeyed him, a people known as the Babylonians came, took the Jewish people away from Jerusalem and back to their land of Babylon and pulled them into exile. Most of them there for a period of about 70 years that this happened. Then after that time, they were able to go back from exile in Babylon back to their homeland of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. The city wall had been destroyed by the Babylonian invaders. And it was in that time, and we looked at this last week, that they rebuilt the temple. And then after they rebuilt the temple, there was a season of time where the people started disobeying God again. And it was in the midst of this that Ezra comes And he prays the prayer that we are looking at in Ezra chapter 9. Let's read these two verses, verses 8 and 9. But now, for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. So our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. That we are slaves, our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. Um, we're going to look at a, kind of a pretty narrow segment here today. Next week, we're going we're gonna to look at a passage that if you know someone in your world, coworker, family member, somebody you go to school with, somebody that lives in your neighborhood, a friend that you have, who is in need of some kind of, um, what you call it, breakthrough or freedom or just change in their life that you know can only come through Jesus Christ. Next week, I hope you'll invite them because I'm really excited about where we're gonna go um, next week and I think it's gonna be really important, a great week for you to invite someone. Let me show you the segment we're gonna look at here today and for the record, I'm really excited about today too, not just next week. Some of you are like, well, I'm checking out and just coming back next week. No, stay, stay with me, stay with me. Look at this segment here. But now, very beginning, For a brief moment, and this is where we're going to park today, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. When he talks about leaving us a remnant, he's talking about, he's he's turning his head towards the past and where they've been. We'll unpack this in a minute. And when he talks about a firm place in the sanctuary, he's looking to the future and looking to where they're headed. Today, I want to talk about your past, and I want to talk about your future, and don't miss out. We're we're still focusing on the moment that you're in, but you're not fully going to be able to understand the moment that you're in unless you give an eye to the past and to the future. Here's why. The moment 
you are in is shaped by your past and focused by your future. So the moment that you're in, and Ezra gets this, it's in his prayer, is shaped by your past and it's focused by your future. Let me, let me unpack that for a couple of moments. First, the past shapes your moment. Your past shapes the moment, your present, it, it shapes the place where you're at. If you think about it, your experiences, your victories, your losses, your gains, your hurts, your opportunities, your choices, your responses to all of these things, the way that you reacted or the way that people reacted to you in the past determines the life you live today in many ways. Do you find that to be true? And if you think about it, the home you grew up in, the advantages or the disadvantages that you had, the things that people said to you, the things that people did to you, the choices you made, the places you put your energies, the relationships you entered into, they all made a difference. Our family was, the, the five of us were in an automobile accident that totaled the minivan we were driving in 2006. I drive by the place where the accident took place at least once a week, most weeks more than that, but let's just say at the very least once a week. Every time I drive through that intersection, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, every time I drive through that intersection, do you know what I think about? My mind always goes back to the accident, every time, why? Because even this moment is shaped by what happened to me in the past. That's the way that our past works. So what Ezra says here, as he looks to the past, he says, God, you have been gracious in leaving us a remnant. What's a remnant? Well, that, that, that word means those who have escaped, those who came out of exile and who are now back in Jerusalem, from Babylon, back to Judah, back to Jerusalem. They're back in God's city, and there's a small group of them. They're those who have survived. They're those who made it through the past. But don't miss what he's saying here. You wouldn't need a remnant if it wasn't for what you did in the past. If it hadn't been for past disobedience, if it hadn't been for a past disregard of God, you wouldn't be in this place. So he's looking back as he talks about this. Think about how the past shapes us. The past is a reminder of what you did. When you, when you look backwards, when you look at the past, it's a reminder of what you did. For some of us, it's good things. We can look back and we can go, man, I'm thankful I did that. Man, that was a great choice. Man, that was the best thing I ever did. For others of us, we, we look back, and for some reason, when we talk about the past, we usually do it negatively, and we go, oh, man, I've got regrets. This is how it works. We, we kind of go, I made good decisions about my mate or my job or my home or my school or my friends, or maybe you look back and you see the ones that you wish you could have done differently. See, the past is a reminder of what you did, but the past is also a reminder of what God has done. We can look back and see that God has been with us. This is what Ezra is saying. He says, God, you've been gracious because as we look back, we see your faithfulness. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a place where you could look back and say, oh, now I see where God was in that. Anybody? You look and just go, man, I see where he was faithful. I see where he worked this out in my life. I see where I can trust him. One of the things that's important to me as we go through this study of Ezra is that, and, and I guess it's just, it's kind of coming alive for me in certain ways. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. So when you get to that kind of that half of the Bible, we call it sometimes the Old Testament, there's 39 books. 14 of those books in the Old Testament somehow focus around this time of the exile or the return 
of exile of God's people. Sometimes we think Old Testament, and we think, well, it's Abraham, or oh, hey, it's David. There's a huge chunk, 14 of the 39 books, that is all about this season that we're talking about, the exile of God's people, and then their return to Jerusalem from exile. Another one of those books, it's, it's kind of the, the companion to Ezra, is Nehemiah. Ezra is kind of part one, Nehemiah is part two. And look at this, this verse in Nehemiah. It says, but in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Anybody ever been able to look at your past and go, he is a gracious and merciful God. <laughs> he has not treated me like I deserve. How about you? And I'm so thankful for that. So when I look at my past then, because we can have a tendency, some of us, to kind of get stuck there. How, how do I respond to my past? Two, two things kind of quickly, and that, that's probably a whole sermon series on its own. But, but first of all, respond with humility. That when you look at your past, you, you stop and humbly go, I can see where God was. I can see where I was. It may mean that you have to remember, and with that remembrance comes repentance. That you say, God, I'm sorry. That with humility, you ask someone else for forgiveness. You ask God for forgiveness. And I would encourage you, to respond with humility and not what I would call the opposite of humility, which, which is hardness. Sometimes we think that it's easy to say, well, the opposite of humility is pride. And that may be true, but what pride often presents in us when, when we think of the past is a hardness that comes, a bitterness, or, or a tough outside shell that we want to put on. Hardness is the way that pride dresses up oftentimes when it goes to church or family reunions. Isn't that true? And so be careful when you look at your past, that you respond with humility because it makes all the difference. There's a guy named Nick Burchill. He's a Canadian. He's from Nova Scotia on the eastern side of Canada. And he was in the Navy, the Canadian Navy, and he got out. And in 2001, he decided to travel from the eastern side of Canada to British Columbia on the western side of Canada to go visit some of his buddies that he served with in the Navy. And one of the things they said was, hey, when you come, bring us this pepperoni from a place that's called Brothers in Nova Scotia. I guess it's famous for having this great pepperoni. So he, he flies from Nova Scotia, 2001, back to British Columbia. He gets to his hotel. He's got this pepperoni. He's got a couple hours before he's going to hook up with his buddies. And he says, you know, I think I'm going to go for a walk. And so he takes the pepperoni because there's no refrigerator in his hotel room, and he places it on the windowsill, and he opens the window so that it will stay cool. So Burchill leaves his room, goes for a walk, comes back, I don't know, two, three, four hours later. When he walks in his hotel room, he opens the door, and inside his room, he finds a flock of seagulls inside his room. Can I read you what he says here? And I'm going to leave a few things out because I'm a Christian. He says, he says, I remember walking down the long hall and opening the door to my room to find an entire flock of seagulls in my room. I didn't have time to count, but there must have been 40 of them, and they had been in my room eating pepperoni for a long time. <laughs> now remember, I've just walked in the room, started all these birds. They immediately started flying around and crashing into things as they desperately tried to leave the room through the small opening by which they had entered. And I love the language he uses here. The result was a tornado of seagull feathers, pepperoni chunks, and fairly large birds whipping around the room. The lamps were falling, the curtains were trashed, the coffee tray was just 
disgusting. And he tells the story of how he got them all out but two, and there was one on the windowsill, so he threw his shoe at him, and both the bird and his shoe went out the window. <laughs> one more bird left. He took a towel, caught the bird in the towel, and it's funny because the story goes on to say that none of the birds were injured, by the way. I don't, that's important to some of you. He, he wrapped them, not to me, he wrapped, the bird, he wrapped the bird up in the towel. It's his pepperoni, not theirs, and he took the towel and threw the towel and the bird out the window only to look out and see that there was like a, an afternoon tea that was taking place below his window. Didn't know what to do. Goes to the front desk, says, I gotta show you something. One of the, the workers from the hotel goes with him and is just dumbfounded looking in the room, right? He gets moved to another room. When he checks out the next day, they hand him a letter that states, you are never to stay in this hotel again. 2001, fast forward to April of 2018. Nick's never been back until now. And he went back and he'd written them a letter that asked them for their forgiveness and if he could return. And you know what he sent with the letter? Pound of pepperoni. <laughs> you know what they said? You're welcome to stay here anytime. You know why? Is it because time heals all wounds? Nah. It's because, no, it's not pepperoni either. <laughs> it's, it's, although it's worth a try, it's humility. He humbled himself to say, you know that thing in the past? Can I have your forgiveness? With your past, respond with humility. And, and respond with gratitude. When, when you look back and you see the places where God was, you see the things that God did. Look, you might look at parts of your past and go, that is not where I want to be. But don't miss this. Even when you were not where you wanted to be, God was right there with you. Let me give you a little more biblical history. There's a, there's a book in our Bible called Jeremiah. Do you know when Jeremiah was written? Jeremiah was written to the Jewish people when they were in exile. You've heard of this, right? Right? Okay, right, okay. Uh, and while they're in exile, Jeremiah writes a letter to them. He's, he gives prophecy to them. And one of the things that he says, and this is a very familiar passage. In fact, you've, you've probably heard this before. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that verse before. Some of you are like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I thought Hobby Lobby made it up. Like you just, you just, you didn't know, right? It's in the Bible. Do you know when it was written? It was written to the exiles when they were in a bad place, when they were in a place in their past where they did not want to be. In fact, if you go back and read that whole chapter, it's fascinating because what God says to them is even in this place where you do not want to be, you make the most of this moment. And here's why. Just go one verse ahead. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, what he means is when your exile is over, when you go back to Jerusalem, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So even if you're in a place where you do not want to be, God is saying, I'm right there with you. 
and I have a promise in the future, so you make the most of this moment. And when you look back in your past, even if there's places where you have a hard time seeing God, even if you feel like you were in exile, recognize that even in that place, you can look back with gratitude and know that God was there. And let me just encourage you with this. Don't live in your past, but launch from your past. Like use your past as a, as a launching pad to move into the things that God has for you, to move forward in the things that he wants. You, and, and just follow this away for a few minutes. When you look back, learn from your past because your past shapes this moment, the place where you're at right now. So the past shapes your moment. Let's, let's, let's flip the script for a minute and look the other direction. The future focuses your moment. If the past shapes your moment, then the future, as, as you look ahead, it focuses your moment. You know this, that the direction you will head on in is based on the things that you put your attention to. It's where you put your focus. And when you look at the focus that you have for the future, that will determine the way that you live in this moment. There are hundreds and hundreds of people in Northwest Ohio today who are running the Glass City Marathon, right? Most of them just woke up yesterday and said, I think I'll run 26 miles tomorrow. No, they didn't. Months and months ago, you know what they said? I'm gonna get ready. I'm gonna do this. It means I'm gonna have to train. It means I'm gonna have to work hard. It means I'm gonna have to sacrifice. It means I might have to change the way I eat. It means I may have to change some of my habits. It means I'm gonna have to change my priorities, but here's why. Because I want to do that in the future, it will focus the way I live in this moment. Does that make sense? So look, your future focuses the moment that you're in. What does Ezra say? He says, Lord, you've been gracious because you, you have given us a, a remnant and you have given us, and these are his words, a firm place in your sanctuary. If you take those words firm place and you just literally translate them, it's the word for nail, like something you would put in the wall so that it would hold something or even maybe a better way to picture it is it's, it's a peg it's like a tent stake. It's like a tent peg that you would drive down because from that place, you would find foundation. You would find security. You would find a place that you could hold on to. And he says, as we look to the future, God, you have given us that firm place that we can hold on to because your, your, your future will focus what you do today. When you're driving, you can't see the place you're trying to get to but you know the direction you need to go. And if you make a wrong turn or if you get a detour, you know that's taking you away from where you ultimately want to be. Why? Because your future focuses where you are in this moment. The future is an opportunity for you to thrive. Some of you, you're anxious, maybe even almost paralyzed by thinking about the future. When God wants it to be an opportunity for you to thrive, why? Because the future is an opportunity for God to be glorified. Ultimately, that's, that's, that's our end. That's why we're created, to bring glory to God. So I, I want to park here for a couple of moments because some of us, it's easy for us to get stuck in the past. For others of us, though, it's, it's easy for us to just scoot through life and not really think about the future. And if you're not thinking about the future, then you don't have that focus so you can make the most of the moment that you're in right now. So how do I approach my future? Which is a big deal, because some of you may be thinking about retirement, or you might be thinking about college. You might be thinking about getting married. 
Or you might be thinking about making an occupational change. It might be a promotion or, or it might be downsizing. But somewhere you're thinking about what is it in my future? How, how do I approach this? Three things that, that I, I think are really key. One, approach the future with vision. Approach the future with vision, saying this is where I want to be. This is the direction that I want to go in. Vision is the direction that your life is headed. And it might be something huge. For some of you, you might be saying, I'm going to finish my education. I'm going to get married. I want to get that raise. I want to start this new thing. Like it might be a big thing, but just so you understand, vision isn't just a big thing. Oftentimes it's everything, right? It's me saying this, this is how I want my life to be. You might not think it's a big deal, but when you choose to stay healthy, when you make a commitment to have a strong marriage, to live in a strong home, when you do your best on the job, when you have commitments and priorities that you keep in front of you, when you make a decision to trust God, that all determines the vision for your life. It's the direction you're going in. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. We, we always kind of quote this when we talk about vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. People use that verse all kinds of ways. Look, look, at, look at it in the New International Version. It says, where there is no revelation, where there is no word from God, where there is no law, where there is no direction, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. You see what he's saying here? If you don't have a direction, if you, if you don't have boundaries and guidelines, if you don't have a vision, then you throw off restraint. You just do whatever you want. You just go all kind of haywire in your life, and you miss what God might want to do. The great theologian Yogi Berra, you ever heard of him? <laughs> he says, if you don't know where you are going, you might end up someplace else. And that makes total sense. Where there is no vision, so look, as you look at the future, first, approach it with vision. Here's the second thing, though. If all you have is vision, who knows where you're going to end up? Who knows what decisions or choices you might make that are actually going to hurt you more than helping you? So you approach it with vision, but second, approach the future with wisdom. Say, look, look, I, I know the direction I want to go, but is this wise? Is this right? Is this smart? Vision without wisdom is just foolishness. You got to have them both. If you just have wisdom and no vision, that's called being overly cautious and you just get stuck. But if you just have vision without wisdom, that's called being foolhardy and you're going to make a mess. Someplace you have to have vision and wisdom. You have to ask, do I have what it takes to fulfill this vision? Do I have the resource? Do I have the, the right people connections? Do I have the strength? Do I have, here's a big one, do I have God's blessing to move forward? Listen to how Jesus says it. Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. There's a partnership here between vision and wisdom let me give you a third thing. This one is indispensable. You have to have vision. You have to have wisdom. Here's the third one. Approach the future with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because you can have all the great ideas and you can do all the research, but if God's not in it, then what you're doing is, is not worth it. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
you have to have the leading of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter four, verse six, look at this. It says, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Let me pause for just a minute. Does anybody remember that word Zerubbabel from last week? We talked about, does anybody remember last week? Okay, we gotta start somewhere. Okay, we were in the, we were in the book of Haggai because Haggai takes place in the middle of Ezra. And it says in Ezra 5.1 that there were two prophets. There was Haggai and there was Zechariah. See how the Old Testament all connects? Awesome. And, and so in the book of Zechariah, chapter four, verse six, to this dude Zerubbabel, who we read about last week, which is a great baby name if you're interested, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, help me out here, but by my says the Lord Almighty. How does it happen? It happens by God's Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will lead you in what you can do that you cannot do on your own. He'll give you discernment to know that you're headed in the right direction. He will lead you in ways that you can't imagine. So let me unpack this for a couple minutes. Back in 2010, it was June 11th, 2010, that there were several of us independently that I could name to you by name that read an article on that Friday, June 11th, I remember exactly where I was in my house, that said that Rave Entertainment was closing the 18th screen cinema on Conant Street. Any of you ever been there? <laughs> Help me out, right? Okay. We read that, and we said, it feels like God is stirring something. And we began this process with the leading of the Holy Spirit to pursue relocating Calvary from our former home on Glendale to this facility, believing it was God's vision for us as the Holy Spirit was leading us. But I am so thankful for a leadership team and for a church board who said, how do we do this with wisdom? How do we do this wisely? How do we do this appropriately to lead the church through this in a way that does not jeopardize our future as a church and helps us to move forward with unity? And God helped us in a beautiful way because how do you approach your future? You approach it with vision and with wisdom and with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now this, to, just to brag on God for a minute, I went back and looked. Last Sunday, last April, what, 15th, last Sunday, was the third Sunday in April. On the third Sunday in April in, in uh, 2010, in attendance on that Sunday morning in our services, we had 915 people. Last week, third Sunday in April 2018, eight years later, we had 1,840 people, almost exactly double the number that we had had before we made the move. What does that mean? That God was willing to double the effectiveness he could have through this church when we were willing to follow his vision, wisdom, and leading in our lives. Isn't that cool? Yeah. How he does that and how he works in those ways. So you have to trust him in that. So, so let me just take a couple minutes then and talk to you about Calvary's future. Because that's part of what we want to communicate through this series. Look, our vision as a church, if, if we're going to talk, and let's do it in this framework again, vision, wisdom, leading of the Holy Spirit. Our vision as a church is life change. That's what we believe God's called us to do. That when people have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it changes their lives in a way unlike any other. And life change happens, it continues to happen in our lives when we connect, grow, and serve. Have you heard that before? Man, I hope so. We believe that's how it works. So life change is what it's all about, but there's vehicles that God uses to help move that vision forward. And we look to see how he's gonna do that. In part, he does that 
through the place that you call home. So the renovations that you've, you've seen in the video, some of you have been able to walk through. We'll do an open house here once the last portion is opened up. We're, we're excited about all of this. But all of those things are a way, and even future things that we believe God wants us to be able to do in this building for us to move those things forward. And this is important because a lot of times people will say to me, well, isn't the church not a building but people? And I will say, absolutely. Look, buildings are just tools. They're things that God uses to minister to people. So the church is people. But you know what's interesting? When you look at Scripture, God's people were the Israelites, the children of Israel, but he called them to the promised land, which was a land. When God works in the lives of his people, all throughout Scripture, he does it in places. And places are important to God, places where he can work and move in people's lives. And so our place is important. The things that we do in increased ministry, it's our hope that God will help us to, to identify and move forward with someone to join our team to focus specifically in ministry to our young adults in this next year. We want to expand how we connect, grow, and serve. We want to help you to be equipped to grow in your faith and be used in the gifts that God has given to you. We want to continue to reach out into our city through loving the 419 and praying about what God might even have us to do to maybe start new churches in different places here in Northwest Ohio. And we do believe that at some point, God is, is putting in our hearts the opportunity for us to possibly expand this facility so that we can have a new auditorium. Anybody ever tried to walk into this room and not been allowed at 10 o'clock? You are all the ones that come early, apparently, <laughs> right? Just about every week, we got to go, hey, this auditorium is too small. We're, we're starting to see that begin to happen in the 1145 service. It's been wonderful what we've been able to do with live music and auditorium too, and a lot of folks that are worshiping over there as well as with the generations. But at what point do we say our, our growth is, is limited and we believe that God wants us to grow? We'll talk about this in future weeks, both, both deep and wide. What does that look like? So we have a vision to say, God, at what point would you have us to do something to expand our worship space? That's vision. But what about wisdom? Well, wisdom says you got to do that at the right time with the right resource in the right way. And I'm so thankful for, for our leadership team, for our church board. One of the things that we realize that we have to address is that we, we carry as a church a significant debt. It's okay that we talk like a family for a few minutes, right? Is that okay? And if it's not okay, you can take a quick nap. I'll wake you up in just a second. And so... Um, one of the things that we have is significant debt. We have about $4 million in debt from the purchase of this property and the renovations. Now, what's interesting is given our, our, our strength as a congregation, it's very manageable debt. In fact, it's, it's, it's less debt in monthly payments than what we had in our former location before we were able to pay off that building. So it's very manageable. And it's very important that you recognize this. Debt can be a tool or debt can be a trap. And we want to work in a way where it's a tool that God can use, like when you get a mortgage for your house, as opposed to a trap where you're a slave to the lender. Does that make sense? People have a lot of different perspectives on that. But we know that we want to move forward. I don't know that that means that we say hey, we have to be debt-free, but we have to be in a position of strength to be able to move forward with some of the things that we believe God wants us to do. One of the things that is, is key in that is the sale of our former home on Glendale. So for about five years We've, we've kind of been watching as two different entities have said, we are buying your building. And we walked through this process kind of over time as these deals have been considered. And we've talked about those things only to watch kind of both of them eventually just, it seems like, just fall apart, which is disappointing, but not frustrating. Because sometimes what's falling apart in the natural means that God's doing something in the supernatural, right? 
So he knows, so we trust him. But we think that, that it's wisdom for us to be on the other side of that, to be at a place where we can address some of our debt in a, in a more position of strength as we look to the future. There's a, there's a line that I quote quite often from Pastor Donald McManus, who was our pastor here at Calvary in the 60s and 70s. And in, a, in an old church directory from the 1960s, Brother Mack wrote this line. He said, we stand at the threshold of unprecedented opportunity. Gets me every time. We look out and go, God, there's something more for us out there. We look ahead to what you have. So we do this with vision, wisdom, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we ask for God to be at work. I, I would ask that you would pray for your church, that God would lead us. Because every time God has called us as a church to bold moves, he's provided in a way. When we were in the process of paying off our, our debt, we paid off our building in 2008 that had a debt that had hung over our head for years. And we were in the process of that. We were coming down right to the very end and it looked like we weren't gonna make it in the season of time that we needed to. And then at the last minute, God brought a gift of $40,000 miraculously into our lap. Don't you love it when he works at the last minute? God, there's other minutes. But he does it. When we were looking to buy this building and the attorney called and said, Chad, the deal's dead. It's not gonna happen. And then in a matter of moments, God turned it around with ridiculous favor that we did not deserve, but that God brought to us. It's a powerful thing. When we've been able to move forward with these renovations because of your faithfulness in giving and a very large gift of over a million dollars that came to us from an estate that we never would have been able to do these things in any other way, but God allowed that. You know that that's all the result of when we pray and trust him, right? So I would love it if you would pray for your church, will you? That was overwhelming. And so <laughs> I ask you to do that. And I ask you to commit, right, that you would say, look, I don't want to just roll in and out on a Sunday. I want to be a part of what God's doing through this body of believers, that you'd serve and that you do this. And look, I, I want to be real careful. This, this sermon series is not about money. It's about the moment that you're in. But you know that ministry requires money, Right? And so part of this is for us to say, God, how do you help us to have the resource to look to the future? And so if God were to lay on your heart to give to the future, we have, when you give, there's kind of three general areas. There's the tithe, that's the 10% that belongs to God. There's missions where God has stirred in your heart to give, to see others come to know him. And then there's a category that you'll see online or our offering, uh, what do we call those things? Envelopes. That says, by faith. When you give to by faith, that's how we give to the future. If you say, I want to make a difference in seeing Calvary's future move forward, pray about how God might have you give to that. But I, I, don't want to, I don't want to get stuck on the money part today. I want to talk about the moment that you're in. And here's why. Because the moment you are in is shaped by your past and focused by your future. You look to the past, you look to the future, but those things affect the moment that you're in right now. Understand this. You will miss this moment if you do not learn from your past with humility, with gratitude. You learn from your past. And you will waste this moment if you're not focused by your future. If you're not looking ahead and saying, God, what direction would you have for me to go? But there's one other thing that I, I, I don't want you to miss in this passage, which is because we've talked about the remnant. We've talked about the firm place to stand that Ezra mentioned. But go back to verse eight and look at how he starts. He says, but for this brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious to us. Look, some of you are, are stuck with things in the past and, and you're fearful about things in the future. 
both of which put a cloud and a, and a heaviness and a darkness on this moment in your life. And did you hear what Ezra said? He said, when I look to the past and when I look to the future, I see that there's grace in this moment. God, you've been gracious to me in this moment, right where I am. See, when we live in the past or obsess on the future, we miss out on God's grace in the present moment. This is really huge to see. There's a, there's a passage in Lamentations, which by the way, just to kind of connect the dots, the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament was written when the Jewish people were in exile. So you see how they all connect, right? Lamentations chapter three, verse 22. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions. That word compassions, his mercy, his grace never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, God's grace is always there. It was there in the past. It will be there in the future. But don't miss this. Even though his grace is always there, you've got to recognize it's right here in the moment that you're in right now. If you were to look at your life in that way, you would see that. God was there in the past, but that's not what we're talking about. He'll be there in the future, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the grace that he has right now for the moment that you're in. Let me, let me kind of illustrate this for you. We have some victims, volunteers, that are going to come. <laughs> Guys, come on up here and, uh, and help me out here, if you would, please. And uh, I just did something bad there. Um, don't tell Pastor John. Um, who's right there? So we'll just have you line up here for me, kind of do this. And I don't know if anybody told you what you're doing. And take like, like three steps forward. Did a great job. Okay, awesome. And maybe one step back. Maybe a half step forward. Okay, yeah. Tony's like, I ain't playing that. So, okay. So, and then I'm going to have you hold on to this rope. And this rope is, is like a timeline here. Um, it's, doesn't matter. Okay. And if you'll notice, and I'm going to say this with as much grace as I can, you, you kind of have a little bit of life progression here. Do you notice that? Like, is that graceful enough? Like, we'll start with youth, and then we'll kind of move forward with seasoning, right? And so that's that experience. That's a better word. Where were you in the first service? So, yeah. Now, watch this. Here's, here's what I want you to see. Your life progresses in different ways. And I want you to stop and think, okay, where am I at on this timeline right now? And this is, this is really important to see. So can I have you guys just take like three steps to your left, if you would, please? Just kind of move down there a little bit to your left. And then, Paige, if you'll help me out, I want to show you something. We're going to kind of focus in on one moment. So this, can you, can you see kind of the spotlight right here? Yes? yes? This is the moment that you're in, right? So there's this timeline, but somewhere on the timeline... You're in a moment, and you can look back, and you can see the past, and you can look ahead, and you can see the future, but don't miss the fact that there is a spot where you are, and you can waste this moment if you're looking that way too far. You will miss this moment if you're looking that way too far. Does that make sense? You have to focus on this moment, and do you know what that light is? That's God's grace. So let's, let's, take, uh, let's take two steps down that way. And some of you find yourself kind of in an earlier stage on your timeline. And you got to say to yourself, what kind of future am I going to create? 
Because this moment needs to be focused on the future, on the things that are ahead, and how God's going to lead and direct in those moments. And that's a critical thing for you to do. But realize that even as you look ahead, there's moments of grace for you right now. Can you guys take like four steps to your right? We need some like music for you or something as you're, as you're moving. And then there comes a point where you go, okay, I'm looking, I'm looking maybe backwards now in different ways. And you can get stuck back that way. Here's what I love about this. And, and I, didn't, I didn't pick these volunteers, but I love this. I know that everybody up here has made a commitment to say, I'm going to live my life in the moment that I'm in right now. I'm not going to let the future scare me. I'm not going to let the past hold me back. I'm going to move forward in this season. And here's what I know about some of you and where you're at, that you're so overwhelmed by saying, hey, look, the things I did in the past that maybe were mistakes or those things I can't see right now are the future, they will paralyze you if you don't get a big picture on this thing and realize that no matter what the past looked like or what the future looks like, there is grace for me in this moment where I am right now. Does that make sense? You have to make the most of the moment that you're in. And here's what Ezra said. God, you've been gracious to me. And there's grace. And there's mercy. And there's strength. And there's forgiveness. And I don't know that I can fix all of that. And I don't know that I can handle all of that. But here's what I know. That right here, right now, God, there is your grace. And it might not all be right. It might not all be, not all be perfect. But God, I trust you for your grace in this moment. You guys can drop the rope. Can you give them a big hand? Because they did a great job. Thank you very much. Guys, thank you. One last story. You, you may have noticed that the imagery that we're using through this whole series is of glass blowing. The reason why, you'll see it in the videos, the graphics, because when you, when you take that glass element out of the furnace, you know how long you have to shape it? Moments. You, you got to seize it. You got to make the most of that moment because when it's hot in that moment, that's, that's when it makes the difference. And I told you a couple weeks ago about standing in the studio of my friend Ken that you, you see on the videos, he's a glass blower, and watching him make this, this glass uh, cup that when he set it off to the side to work on something else, it immediately cracked. Like it immediately was, in my mind, ruined. I was mad. I said, Ken, aren't you mad? You just put in all that time, 20, 30 minutes. You, you worked all that time to make that thing, and then it immediately was broken. Do you remember what he said? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He said, if you aren't breaking them, you aren't making them. But you got to go, if I'm not moving forward in life, then, I, then this, yes, there'll be moments that will be broken. There'll be moments that I'll look in the past and go, oh, I wish that could be different. But if I'm stuck, I'm not moving forward. I've got to make the most of this moment. And then he went on to say something to me so powerful. He said, look, if you focus on making the piece, the cup, the bowl, the plate, if you focus on making the piece, you'll give up because it's not going to be perfect. It's not all going to go right. You get stuck in your past. You'll get fearful of the future. He said this, the value is in the process and not in the piece. The value is in what's going on inside of you. It's how you're growing, how you're developing, Know this, your focus is not just on this moment, but on the God of this moment. And his God is with you. His grace is with you. And here's what Ken said. He says, it's not about what you create. It's about what is created in you. It's how God works in your life in this moment 
and his grace is there. So I'm asking you to stand with me, if you would, please. And, and Pastor John is going to lead us real simple course. It talks about looking up. It talks about kneeling down. It talks about looking back. It talks about looking forward. And in this song, it reminds us of God's faithfulness and his ability in the future. And here's just, just my question. As you look at the past, you look at the future, how many of you would say, I need God's grace in this moment? Where I'm at right now, just raise your hand. God, I need your grace in this moment. In fact, I'd encourage you maybe to lift your hands to him right now. God, I need your grace in this moment. God, I need you. The God who was faithful in the past, the God who's able in the future. God, I need your grace today. Thank you, Lord. I will look up, for there is none upon you. I will bow down to tell you that I need you, Jesus Lord. future. Thank you, Jesus, that your grace is right here in this moment. But for some of us, it's, it's a big deal, our past. Would you let us know that your grace is right here, right now? But for some of us, there's an uncertainty about our future. Help us not to waste this moment. May our focus be on you, the God who's able. Lord, thank you for your grace in this moment. And Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. God, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.